Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. Welcome to another episode of An Irishman Running Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan, and the legend, Sonia O'Sullivan. It's not just any episode, though. Today, she looks at what your running routine might be missing. Don't let your running practice stagnate into doing the same stuff time after time. Let the greatest Irish track and field athlete of all time explain why neglecting one or two things can leave you feeling like... You're just going around in circles and not making the progress you'd like to make later. She will answer your questions. And this week we pulled the members on Strava in our Strava running club to see what running tricks, hacks and recovery aids they use. So you'll want to hear those. I know you have tons of those, Sonia. So we might compare and contrast yours with the listeners. We also have my chat with Brezzy about his unbelievable ultra marathon that he ran over the weekend 200 kilometers he covered with 25 other people we'll hear all about that later to start with as always i'm here in st albans just outside london but let's find out where you are sonia where are you right now yeah i'm in um a place called i don't know how to say it properly Leverkusen. Leverkusen. <laughs> I can't get my. It's really difficult in Germany to get your head around the E's and the U's. And and then, you know, where people, if they live in a small town, they call it their village. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Coco keeps telling me that her village is a <laughs> much nicer than this industrial um, section of Germany, which apparently is the pharmaceutical capital of the world. Of course, yeah. Um, which is why we're staying in a hotel here that is linked to the Bayer Leverkusen Stadium. Oh, um, wow. Which apparently is my brother's team in Europe. I, I just sent a quick message to my dad when we got here and I I, I said, is Bayer Leverkusen any good? <laughs> he said, well, is your brother's team in Europe? <laughs> and apparently they win the German league a bit, so oh, they man, must be pretty What good. an obscure team for him to pick. I mean, most people are picking Barcelona or uh, Real Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain. That's a very, I think he's looking for a jersey out of you there. Uh, is it, uh, is it like, yeah. a full, uh, like a state of the Shankly Hotel in Liverpool once, which was fully themed football hotel, including team bath in the room, like the, the room <laughs> baths looked like the baths you would find in a 70s football club. Is it all like that? Um, it hasn't quite moved into the rooms, but it's in the lobby. So in the hotel lobby, they have all the old jerseys and stuff and posters and yeah, all sorts of things that make you feel like you're in a stadium. Um, but the room, the rooms are, I thought they were going to be overlooking the stadium, but not, not so lucky uh, there. I think they must have the nice rooms you know, the uh, VIP rooms for watching the game are on the other side of the hotel. Oh, OK. So you can actually rent a room that l- looks out on the ground itself. Uh, you've been in some of the most amazing stadiums Europe has to offer over the last couple of weeks. Diamond League is done and dusted, is it? And what's the plan for Coco now? Well, actually, I was actually in one of the most, probably the one of the most interesting stadiums over the weekend. And one that, anyway, I posted up a little picture on Instagram and had a few reaction from people and you know I think it kind of does something to people when they go to the stadium in Berlin the Olympic Stadium in Berlin 
And it's just such a historic stadium due to, you know, what was going back going on back in the day with Hitler and the mm. 1936 Olympics. And it's just an amazing place, you know, just from old time Germany, just huge, huge buildings. And yeah, it's it's definitely you just kind of feel like you're walking around in history when you're in there. You know, the the wall, even though they've updated it a bit, you can still get that sense of the oldness to it. And, you know, lots of stuff that went on there besides athletics and Olympic Games. Yeah, hard, hard not to be moved by it, I'd imagine, when, you, when you're when you there. As an athlete, are you much more zeroed in, I'd say? Your, your yeah. eyes are down. Well, when, when as I've been here before as an athlete, and I had to kind of remember to myself, you know, how often I ran here. And we always ran. This was the last, or one of the last races of the season, generally. And we used to always run 5,000 metres here. Because back in the 90s, they didn't generally run... 5,000 meters throughout the season. So this was always the one time when anybody who wanted to run a 5,000 would come to Berlin. And I've actually run here five times, but it is very different when you come to a stadium and you're not competing. You know, you're still focused on, like I was helping Kogo to get ready for the race yesterday. And then she did a little bit of a session after the race um, to prepare for her final race um, this coming Friday in a in a very small town, or it might even be a village <laughs> in Germany. <laughs> called Trier it's the I looked it up it's one of the I think it is the oldest town in Germany so that should be pretty interesting to go there and um, yeah while I was kind of waiting for her because you know when you're coaching and you know athletes getting ready for a race there's a lot of hanging around and waiting around the place so you know I like to keep myself a bit busy you don't go too far away but you sometimes you do have to you know disappear a bit and then come back and I went and checked out the Olympic swimming pool from right. 1936. And that was pretty interesting as well. <laughs> I'd say so. I mean, this this like you really must be experiencing these things uh, with completely new set of eyes. When you're working with Coco as closely as you are, it, it, so much of your thinking must be around, well, this is what I would have loved when I was here, is there a sense that you're trying to give her what you didn't have or what you did have and that made you excel at that level? Yeah, I mean, I think in a way you try and remember from my experiences as an athlete. And, you know, I think the big thing when you're helping an athlete and they're getting ready for a race is that you don't want to overcrowd them. Mm. You know, you want to be there if they need you. But, you know, when an athlete is getting ready for a race, you really need that time by yourself. And you need to work out what you want to do. And, you know, normally you decide what you're going to do in a race. You have a bit of a race plan and you discuss that the day before. And then you might maybe reiterate it a little bit during the day of the race. Um, but you don't really overthink it or over overanalyze it too much because, you know, at the end of the day, it's pretty simple stuff. You know, you just get out there, stand in the start line and <laughs> follow the plan. <laughs> and 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 there comes a time when you have to instinctively make changes because mm. you know everybody else in the race has a plan too but it, not everybody's race goes to plan yeah yeah so you do have to be ready to react and ready to change things if you know that comes up in a race i remember uh, paul howard and i go back to paul howard a couple of times because you know he did kind of track you at that time that coco is at and you know he said that 
he always viewed, he could be totally wrong on this, that he viewed you guys as like thoroughbred horses, that there was a, the, the possibility that you could be spooked. Are you conscious of that? Is Paul right on that? Like with Coco uh, uh, and these athletes at this level, can small things really put them off kilter, like tiny little things that can get in their head? Oh, totally. And, you know, it all starts with when you check into the hotel room, <laughs> which we just did now and had a bit of a drama. But um, like I can remember as an athlete checking into a hotel room and, you know, I'd be coming up in the lift and I'd be hoping that my room was nowhere near the lift because mm. that's, you know, that's one of the worst things if your room backs onto the lift. Oh, yeah. And then if you're or if your room is looking onto a busy road and the windows are not very soundproof. And, you know, as soon as I would I wouldn't take anything out of my bag until I had a good assessment of the room <laughs> if, if I wasn't happy I'd be straight back down and looking for a new room yeah I mean without hesitation and I you know you'd always think the sooner you do that the better because if you don't get down there quick all the other athletes are going to come spilling in here and you <laughs> know the then they're not going to be able to change rooms <laughs> yeah God, it is like I found the whole adjustment back to regular life that is taking place very tough. I'm sure lots of our listeners are feeling the same same way. I was back out gigging this week. Shout out to everybody that came out to the shows in Cardiff Glee this weekend. I drove for a total of 12 hours this weekend because I couldn't do the hotel thing. I just couldn't get my head to do what you're describing. Just the prospect of you know, the germy, not quite sanitised uh, hotel situation, which is now a consideration for all of us. And also the people that are in the hotel, as you say, popping up and down in the lift, half pissed. All of it, uh, it just was too much for me. So this weekend I drove back and forth to Cardiff for two amazing shows. I want to plug one show really quick. As we mentioned on the podcast, I am doing a big show in London on September 25th, a return of the crack show at the Underbelly festival in central london tickets are on sale for that right now and i'm trying to arrange a discount code for our patrons over on patreon.com forward slash irishman abroad and that way uh, all the people that really want to be there can get there for a little bit less but on top of that the past week's been a bit of a tricky one i'll be honest with you sonia the old shin injury appears to be attempting to rear its dirty little head again sore shins are to an extent a part of running. I get that. It's part of running on roads. And in recent weeks, we had talked about mixing up your training surfaces. And I had been doing that. And yet here I am. I have, for the purposes of research, made an acupuncturist appointment for tomorrow. And I'll report back next week how that is going to go. But like, really, I'm just at a bit of a loss here. And it kind of brought me to why we do this episode, Sonia, because I bet when an injury like this strikes, you, like me, must think, I haven't been doing something. Something is missing from my training, whether that is something as simple as an orthotic in my shoe, but I obviously haven't been building the strength in that ankle, including some flexibility or balance work. Do you think that, am I right in thinking that, that when something like this crops up, your first thought is, oh, what have I left out? Yeah, you you start to, I think you become a little bit complacent with, you know, all the things that got you back to where you were back running pain free. And I suppose you kind of had left the injury behind you. And then you're on the, 
the fast highway back to running as much as you want, you know, as fast as you want, wherever you want. And you can definitely put aside all the little things that can help you not to get injured and not to have all these aches and pains. And sometimes that's what these, I suppose, little pains that creep up, they're there to remind us of this. And I suppose if you listen, um, it's like a little voice in your head, except it's a pain in your head and it's coming from somewhere in your body. And I think you do have to listen. And sometimes it's very difficult because you'll be out for a run and you'll feel something and you'll be thinking, oh, I haven't been doing those exercises now. Or I've got to do a bit of icing or I've got to take a bit more care of this. Mm. And then as soon as you come home, you get busy and you forget all about it again until you go out the next day and you think, oh, why did I forgot about this. I've got Absolutely. to go back. And, and this, this happens to me all the time. There's always these little things that crop up while you're out running and you're reminded that you have to get on top of it again. And you can so easily get distracted as soon as you come in the door at home. And you're on to the next thing. And before you know it, you're back out running the following day and you're not feeling very good. And, you know, you're thinking, why didn't I start that out? And, and sometimes I've had to, I think I mentioned this before, where I know if I mobilize my foot a bit in the mornings, it wakes it up a bit more and it's a bit more flexible. And then it's not so stiff when I start out running. And occasionally I'd be out running for about three minutes and I actually have to stop, take my shoe off and start jiggling with my foot on, on a local park bench and just kind of getting it back, feeling good again. And then lace the shoes up and away you go. Wow. Yeah. And thinking, why didn't I do that before I went out the door? Yeah. And uh, like there must be these same problems encountered by our listeners and uh, people that you have coached, elite athletes and, you know, high school athletes as well. Which one, though? If we're to start before we head over and talk to Brezzy, let's start with a couple of ones that you feel are most commonly forgotten or that commonly get put to one side and so told that's the long finger thing on a perfect world day. I will, of course, do that. What are those those things that you most frequently see people leave out from their running routine? Well, I think one of the big things is when when you've had a big injury that, you know, it's taken you a while to get over it. And your physio or physical therapist or whoever's looking after you has given you all these little exercises that, you know, get it back feeling good again. It builds up all those small little muscles and that you gradually start to you're not as diligent doing those exercises. So you kind of you nearly forget how to do them. You mm-hmm. put them aside so much. And so that's the one thing. It's, and it's really hard to kind of get back and start all over again and build them back up again. So I think that's one of the most important things is that you kind of keep a file of all these little exercises and little tricks that you learn along the way from injuries that you have or, you know, things that stop you in your tracks. And then you go back and you reuse them. So you keep the notes so that when something comes up again and you realize that you've not been on top of things for a long time, that you go back and you start again and you take that time. And when you take the time to do the warm up exercises or the icing or the massage or you know, foam rolling, whatever, whatever it is, even just warm up exercises. I was actually thinking about this myself this morning. You know, when your coach or your training plan tells you to do, you know, three specific exercises before you go out the door, you're more likely to do them than if you've just written down there, 
uh, 50-minute run easy. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of think, oh, I've forgotten about those exercises I used to do. And I, I used to actually feel pretty good after I did them. So I think you have to sometimes go back in your training diary and look at what you used to do when you were building up. When when running was you know new to you, when you're coming back from a break and you're taking care of everything, and then eventually you let all these things go and you just become the run. I'm going to run out the door here now as fast as I can and get yeah. back as quick as I can. So it's a bit like an antibiotic. And that happens. It reminds me a bit of the you know what the doctor always tells you about an antibiotic is that you have to finish the course. You have to finish the course of the antibiotic, or it doesn't work. And I think that we're all inclined to do that with physio says I need to do this. I'll do this until it stops hurting and then go back to what I was doing. But if I if I see it through and as you say, I mean, it's not exactly like an antibiotic in that what you're saying is that you should pull back out the tablets later on and take a few if you're feeling a little bit weary. But really having those exercises and viewing them not as a return to running thing, but as a weapon in your arsenal to get your niggle back to where it should be, if it should rear its head again, is the way to think. Yeah. And then, like the thing is, you know, you'll be really intense at it at the beginning. Mm. And then you do have to bring yourself to a level of a maintaining level so that you don't have to be you know, on it all the time, but you can do, say, if you were doing it every day, then you couldn't bring it down to three days a week. But, you know, sometimes what happens is if you're doing it every day, you remember to do it all the time because it becomes such a routine. If you're only doing it every second day, you can kind of forget that, did I do it yesterday or not? And you have to remind yourself. And I suppose it's like if you're only, you know, taking a, a tablet or something every second day, it's much harder to remember than if you're taking something every day, you know, to, just it becomes like I have my lemon juice every morning but if I stopped taking it for a while or I didn't have any lemons then you fall out of the routine very quickly Mm. and you have to get yourself back into it again now I'm thinking of this book I don't have it here on the shelf but listeners will know it it's called Atomic Habits and it, it does break down habits that we should all be doing into their atomic parts. And one of the tips that was in this book, I don't know if you've heard of this before, is called the habit stacking. And it seems so simple when you hear it, but you're like, everyone should be doing that. Uh, If you have a thing that you already know is a habit that you do every single day, such as the lemon juice, you stack another positive habit on top of that because you already know, I'll take my lemon juice. I always take my lemon juice. So then you need to do through. 30 heel raises while you're drinking it, knowing that that's the thing that you're meant to be doing for that ankle. It's a very simple tip. I must put the link to the book in the uh, notes because this Atomic Habits book uh, is a bit of a game changer. I think I say game changer too often, but uh, this book is very good. I'll stick it in the illustrated notes. Those available, of course, to all the members on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad for the price of a coffee, a couple of clicks, you get access to everything. And then you can search and stream just the running podcast, just the interviews on a Sunday or maybe just Marion on a Friday. We've got this conversation with Brezzy that I really want to talk to Sonia about. Uh, Sonia was on a train in the middle of Germany while I was recording this. But Sonia wasn't actually aware 
that Niall Breslin, who you will all know from his Lust for Life charity and of course the Blizzards and all of his philanthropy, Brezzy, uh, this weekend, along with 25 men and women, set out on September 9th to run the Mindful West Run from County Wicklow to County Roscommon. That's right, nearly 200 kilometres. I mean, it's an extraordinary feat to take on. Uh, they raised an absolute stack of money. Uh, I got Brezzy on the phone and this is that conversation. Niall Breslin, it's fantastic to have you on the Irishman running abroad after what I'd imagine is the biggest challenge you've ever undertaken in your life. And that, that's saying a lot, considering the output, the stuff that you've done musically, creatively. How does anything else you've taken on over the course of your career compared to what you've just done? If I'm being honest, Charlotte, I think I've I've done kind of endurance stuff before, like Ironman and and everyone says that's kind of the push, that's the tester. I found this far harder because I am not a natural runner. I am very, very heavy. I'm 16 and a half stone, six foot six. And whereas with the Ironman, you have three disciplines with the swim, you have the bike, and then you have the marathon at the end of it. Like, even though it's difficult, it just feels like you're using different muscles all the time. Hmm. And you're breaking it up, like mentally, and even in your head, or the three different mental disciplines as well. But with, um, with an ultra marathon like this, it is it's it's just unbelievably grueling in terms of the the mental kind of game of it, and the hardest part of the training was, or the, the hardest part of the the run itself was the fact it was on the canal, yeah. and the canal as Ireland, straight as it gets. I heard you talk about this in an Insta story, and I didn't actually think about it, but that seeing just a straight line must have been a killer. If you got two eighty kilometer rulers. Right. And put them side by side parallel. That's the canal. That's how straight it is. And especially at the end, when you're starting to just really give in, your body's starting to give up and you can see 10 kilometers ahead of you. And you're like, oh, my God, please just be a turn or something. <laughs> and there was actually a moment, I think, where I was really, really struggling. And there was a little turn. And as I went around the turn, there was one of those uh, coffee shops, those kind of sh- uh, trailer coffee shops. And it was like a mirage. It was like I, I started crying. I just started to cry. <laughs> And I couldn't even order. I was that emotional. And she just kept throwing everything that was there at me. <laughs> but but yeah, let me stop you there, was. Niall, because, you know, you, your, your charity and what you've done is all about the mind. And when I picked up the call to you here is one of the first things you said, that this was more about the mind than the body. People must have told you that over and over again. When did you realise how true that was going to be? You hear about the wall that people hit in, in kind of marathons and ultramarathons and the wall where the kind of body just stops and just says, I'm not doing any more good mm. luck. And you have a little tantrum. It's like a little it's like a little internal tantrum that you have and the world is against you and everything. And when you can expect that you can train for it, you know what to do in that situation. So I always say to people when they're training for the marathon and we're training people for the marathon at the moment with the marathon mind journey is the more you can bring the dog out in training. So that dog comes out in the long runs, like your, your 25, 26 kilometer runs when you're just you're just not having it and you're not in a great place. And people go, I said, the more you can take that dog out, look him in the face and then put him back into his kennel. 
that's how you build mental strength. This is, you have to actually experience it. You can read all the books you want. You can you can quote all the inspirational memes you want. They don't mean anything. They're 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 vacuous and they're empty. And fridge magnet philosophies don't get you to that moment. That moment is you and yourself. It's just you, and it's you having that discussion. Going, I'm going to keep going, and I know my body doesn't want it. And I think I've been in that position in training. I've been in that position in racing. I've been in that position in my personal life. So when I hit you and I hit me at about probably about 70K, it hit me and I just got through it. I mean, I just got this thing Jerry Duffy used to always say to me, just put one front in front of the other. Just just mm. don't think any more than that, which was hard because what I started to do at that point was just to look down. I couldn't look up because I, did, I, I didn't want to be able to see as far as I could see. So I just looked at my feet. And another thing Jerry Duffy always said to me was, you get to do this, which in perspective is quite powerful when, you know, you're in a position where you you get to do this as a privilege to be able to run, to mm. be able to move. And I never take that for granted. So I think there are the moments where it got me through it. Two things that really Sonia has echoed a few times on the podcast. And it's funny, the listeners will be nodding away as you say both of those things. Bringing dog out and making friends with that part of you and kind of recognizing it as an old friend that I know you, I know, I know you from that time. I didn't want to do X, Y and Z or when I was really at my darkest moment is something that she's talked about before. She, a couple episodes ago, she gave us all this big pep talk about the pushing through. I think it's really interesting, Niall, to hear you talk about actually understanding that this animal is coming out to play and that viewing it that way, even in that the imagery and the language of that must help massively too, rather than just seeing it as my body wants me to stop. No, it's it's an animal that you are bringing out to meet again. How would you describe your dog? And is he a cunning creature or is he like a, a one trick pony? My dog is, and the like, thing is, I've brought him out so many times. Like I, so I started to do to, to train for this, Charlotte. I started to do mountain running. Right. So I started doing trail. I've just moved to Wicklow, and I'm like, I'm like, I asked one of the lads locally, "Is there any flat routes here?" And they were like, "Bray Head's your flattest route." I'm like, "For God's sake!" So I'm gonna have to learn how to swim or to run on hills and drag my arse up hills, which is not really what I wanted to do, but it got me really strong. And I started to put myself in positions where, so I always believe. You know, and I've heard Sonia and you speak about this. The reason I find two reasons I do endurance sport is my body kind of gave up on me in terms of rugby and football in kind of power based sports. I had really serious muscle tears that kind of put an end to my career. So endurance allowed me do that type of training and get that kind of release that I used to get from from sport because endurance training is different. You've got to have your joints have to be strong. Your core has to be really strong. Your lower back has to be really strong. But if you have muscle issues like I did, you can manage them much better in endurance sport. Mm. And that's why I loved it. But also what I think about endurance sport is it's an incredible metaphor for life. You know, you know, it's horrible sometimes. It's grueling. It's exhilarating. It is the greatest feeling in the world sometimes. It's like life. Life isn't a straight line. Mm. These things happen. So I think that the tools that you need to get through endurance is the same tools that you kind of need to get through life. And that's why it was so powerful for me. And the dog that I have, has has never ever ever been able to tame me and that's the difference and i've been able to tame him every time because i know what to do in these situations and i always say around mindfulness is what i teach it's not about what happens it's about how you react to it 
literally think bad things are going to happen to you. That's life, you know, and tough things are going to happen in races. That's life. But how you actually react in that moment defines it. And I can like I, I, I can tell you the moments that, that they happen to me. And I got like even in this particular run, I got very, very emotional. And there was one moment that I remember I was running with about 12 people. We were, we were about a marathon in at this stage. And we were doing it for Lust for Life, which is a charity I co-founded. And one of the biggest things we've done with the school is the schools program that we've created to help young kids in primary school deal with their their heads. And I'm really proud of it. And it's in 340 schools in Ireland. And one stage we were getting a bit tired and it was really hot. And we ran past the school and there was people out in the schoolyard playing with their, you know, the kids, with the teachers. And I looked at the 20 of them going, do you know what we're doing here? We're in that school. We're actually in that school there, the one we're running past it. So that then made this very real to us. I said, I'm not just doing this because we all think, you know, let's do an endure, like a, an ultra marathon. This raises money to so we can hire a project manager so we can keep developing these programs because our charity is small. But my God, we're dynamic and we've done some incredible things because of what we what we're so passionate about. But it's events like this that actually allow us function. We don't take government funding. You cannot take funding off the same people you are, you're trying to hold to account. It doesn't make sense to me. So these are the things we did. We do to try and actually make money for. Well, like emotional running is something we're actually preparing an episode on. Would you believe, Niall? A uh, few listeners who endured massive loss in their life talking about in in emails in really frank terms about the benefit of actually embracing that emotion when you're at your lowest or whatever the emotion is that's in you at that time using it or harnessing it within the run. And I have to say that thing you said about I get to do this is something Sonia's brought up again and again. And I think it's like kryptonite to the dog <laughs> in a weird way. Meeting the dog Terrible. with with gratitude is it, it tames them and puts them back in the kennel. Not to say it won't come out another day, but it is it is nearly a cheat code or a life hack for, for running. And I have to say, now it's been brilliant to have you on, even for this brief time. And hopefully you'll come back again with the, the next milestone in this journey for you. And absolutely. And, and Charlotte, just to leave you, if any of your listeners fancy doing a marathon with me on the 13th of November in Mullingar, uh, I'm doing the Mullingar Marathon Mind Marathon. Yeah, I don't think there's many on in Ireland because of obviously Dublin was pulled but if you fancy doing that marathon I'll be doing it uh, Rob Heffernan's doing it uh, we have a few others Sinead Kane's doing it with us uh, it's the flattest fastest route in Ireland I'll tell you that one for nothing fantastic uh, because there's no hills in Mullingar is the place to get absolutely everything where is my mind is of course the world beating podcast that he has and uh, get onto his Instagram to get uh, more updates on all of this as well and uh, including live Q&A's and stuff like that and follow some of the epic journeys that some of the people who have taken on that Marathon Mind Challenge with them for the last nine months. Niall Breslin, absolute pleasure. Talk to you soon. Great chatting to you, man. I couldn't, I, could, I didn't know where to start with what do you say to him there? Because my first thing was, <laughs> how did he not get injured? I mean, I, I can't run. I can't run the basics without picking up an injury. But uh, he seemed to only have a, a stiff quad at the end of it. What do you make, first of all, of people that are able to do that length of running 
is there, is there, again, we go back to those questions we asked a few weeks back. Is there a certain body type that's intended for that? Or is it something that you can do, as he said, if you get mind over matter? Yeah, I think um, you definitely have to pace yourself if you do something like that. And you probably have to run a kind of a, what do they call it? Like a shuffling kind of run rather than a bouncy type of run. Mm. And that would always be my problem or something like that. As I start off flying and then you would just get yourself so sore that you wouldn't be able to run at all. Mm. Whereas I think it has to be a bit of a shuffle. And so it's faster than walking for sure. But it's not that much faster. Right. You know, it's it's taking you. And, and, and the thing is, you surround yourself with people as well who are all in it with you. And when you do things like that, then it takes away half the effort of what you're doing. Yeah, we, we do. He said that, like, we didn't include this. I'm raging I didn't include this because he said that at one point, you know, he had people with him who obviously wanted to talk. But the best thing he could do at that point was to go quiet. And that must have been a very awkward moment when essentially he, he needed to conserve energy just to focus on the run. I don't know if you heard the bit about going in a straight line. I didn't even think about that because he obviously ran it on the edge of the canal. So it was just this straight horizon line. And I think he didn't realise exactly how boring that was going to be. That was extraordinary to me, but also I loved getting to hear about him talking about bringing out the dog, which is something that you've talked about here only two weeks ago. That idea of be becoming friends with that part of you that's going to ask you to quit and kind of conquering it in, in some ways. Is that still there with you? Like, do you still have that voice in your head going, Sonia, it's time to go for coffee. Let's not do the next five. <laughs> And uh, not really. I mean, I think once I start out on a run, then I'm fine. Mm. And I suppose I, I manage things a lot better these days. So I, you're kind of in control of things when you know how far you're going to go and you know how long it's going to take you. And like I was reading, or, or one of the emails we got there before, one of our listeners was talking about how, yeah, it was the same thing. He said he was in control. When you go for a run as opposed to a race, you're much more in control of what you're doing. And you know that when you come back home, that you go in that door, you take your shoes off, you can have a shower and then you're down to have your cup of coffee. And, you know, all this is going to be waiting for you no matter what happens. But when you put yourself into a race, that all changes because you take yourself out of your comfort zone and you really don't know how you're going to feel at the end of it all. Mm. You might not want that cup of coffee no matter where you are. Yeah, this is Kevin Devine in Meath. He sent this amazing email to us. I want to give a big shout out to Kevin because we didn't actually get this email until now for various different reasons he he said that uh, after eight months uh, at this crack i've gone and entered my first five miler and now i'm just wondering about preparation and we wanted to do an episode specifically around preparation because he raises some really good points in the email he says what what changes is the question i presume i'm going to need to be there early, find parking, stand around like an idiot, wondering which direction to run. Do people leg it in all different directions during warm ups? These are all like very practical questions that we should probably address in an episode specifically. But what would you say to people that are anxious about these things? Is there uh, with all of these races now coming back online? 
Is there any kind of mental preparation they can do in the sense of going, right, well, I can rehearse or go down there and figure all this stuff out beforehand? Well, one of the best things you can do is to be, you know, as prepared as you can in how you're going to get to the race and to ensure that you get there on time. So if the race starts at nine o'clock, you don't rock up at quarter to nine and expect that you're not going to be stressed because you will be. (laughs) And so normally the general rule of thumb is that you get there an hour before, you know, for a reasonably sized race. And then you have time to park the car. You can walk to the start or if you have to pick up your number or drop your bag or whatever you have to do, a little bit of a warm up. You know, you have time to do all this thing. And the thing is, when you go to a race, the warm up that you normally do in training, it becomes much more inflated and it takes more time than it normally does because there's more people around the place. You have to wait for the toilet. You have to work out if you're going to how far away you're going to park your car if you're going to leave on your tracksuit and then if you're going to run back to the car and put it in the car or if you're going to hide in the bush or somewhere you can leave it you know there's all these little things that you have to weigh up in your mind and you know where you're going to put your car keys because most people don't want to have them jingling around in their pocket when they're out running Mm. and you know, and then you don't you don't want to leave it somewhere and then be worried the whole time you're racing that it might not be there when you come back. So, just all these little things. I mean, we could make a, a really long list, and we, we probably should do that of a kind of a checklist of what to do. You know, yeah. on race morning and the day before, so that you're not you know in a rush on race morning uh, when you're trying to get your breakfast in and you know make sure that you have everything that you need in your bag. And you're not driving down the road and you're thinking, oh, did I pack my race number? I can't remember. Um, you know, all these things that creep into your head when you're doing things in a rush. So you're not 100% sure if you've done it or not. So, you know, little things like that. So I think we will. We'll, we'll, we'll do, definitely a, do a race it. day checklist. A race and, day um, episode. And this does bring me back to the bigger topic of what might be missing from your running routine or your running practice that when I picked up Kevin's email this week, I really feel like there is a chance that with all of this lockdown and all of this separation from people, that the thing that's been missing from many people's running routine, including my own, is an actual event, is that target. How important is that? And I'm genuinely asking that because I've never really had one. We've surely had our virtual events, but I've never had that buzz of, you know, the the, the sticker with your name on it, uh, an actual timed event. Never taken part in one, as I'm sure is the case for lots of our listeners. Yeah, and you haven't had that quietness when they say on your marks and the gun goes in the air mm. and, and you're waiting for the, the off, you know. it's um, It is a bit surreal, that whole thing. I mean, I feel that even when in stadiums recently and how, you know, when say like the men's hundred meters is on and you can have this bustling stadium full of people and all sorts of stuff, noise going on around the place. And there's, there's music and there's speakers and there's clapping and cheering for all the field events. And then as soon as the men or the women get down for the hundred meter start and the whole stadium just goes silent. And it's a bit of a, it's quite nervous just being there because you're afraid you might say or do something and you might break the silence. And it's one of the most silent silences in sport, isn't it? Because even if somebody's kicking a conversion in rugby, 
there's still someone going. Somebody's making a noise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, somebody's always making a noise or or trying to put them off. The respect for that silence when the gun goes up is probably the most silent silence in sports. And it's it's and and when the silence is broken, then when the gun does go off and the whole crowd erupts, I mean that's what's been missing from a lot of events the past two years or so, and particularly at the Olympic Games, like we totally miss that whole experience of you know the crowd getting so excited and into the race, and you know everybody who's sitting in there is picking their favorite and going for them, and so there's a competition of cheering in the stands as well. So it's really great to see that back. I've had it now the past few meets, and um, Brussels was really good, Zurich was great, and then Berlin, like it's a massive stadium. But there was 20,000 people in there yesterday. It didn't wow. look like it. You would never have mm. guessed it. But they still made some noise. And, um, you know, it, it's just great for the athletes to have that warm and encouraging atmosphere there. And, you know, that's what people who do fun runs, you know, when you come down that finishing straight. I think I, I saw bits of it yesterday. The Great North Run was on in Newcastle. And just to see the crowds lining the streets as the runners come down to the finish. It's it's just this unbelievable feeling to have that. And, you know, I think you probably don't notice it as much when you're out there running, but you feel the fullness and it, it makes the place seem smaller. And when there's not people there, it just seems much bigger and larger and it's like it all echoes and um, you're in an empty room. Yeah, Seamus McAteer, a couple of times in the group, uh, various other people have asked me, you know, when is when are you going to get out racing? And I, I certainly feel like in as much as what you're describing for elite athletes, how much they must have missed it. And it is it has been commented on a bunch of times that lockdown has helped a lot of elite athletes really focus, not waste energy traveling, zero in on what they need to improve. And that's why a lot of people believe that so many world records have fallen uh, in the last year or so. But there's a certain reluctance on my part to enter a race, partially because I just uh, wasn't why I started this. What would you say to people that hear it a lot that, ah, you haven't done a race yet, but kind of are reluctant partially because of, as I said, the thing about staying in hotels, the anxiety of being around other people that's very real and present for so many of us. Uh, But they kind of know in their head that, yeah, probably this experience would be better if I had one big day on the horizon like that. What would you say to those people? Well, it's one of those things that I suppose if you haven't experienced it and you're a bit worried about it, you have to try it to 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 see what it's all about. And it's how you try it. So I think you should start local and somewhere where you can just go from home. Hmm. And so it's then it's like kind of driving to your run or driving to a session. And you have to try and your mind you simulate it like you're just going for your own run or maybe you're going for a run to meet some friends and you just try and break it down into the closest thing you can to you know a run that you enjoy doing Mm. and I think you know what happens is when you get out on the road like these days people tend to spread out a little bit at the start line I've noticed and they're not all crowding in on top of each other you know you're not touching all these sweaty bodies and stuff and (laughs) getting close enough that you can smell people. But people do seem to be respecting each other's space a lot more. And you can always find that space when you're out on the road. 
I mean, even I know when I ran in the Dublin Marathon in 2015 and I started like in the mass group of people and running down the road for the first few miles, there's people all around the place. But you can definitely create this little circle of space around yourself that you don't have to be on top of people. Now, the other advantage, if you want to be on top of someone, (laughs) is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can save energy you see if you're close to someone if you tuck them behind them yeah, you hit your free ride <laughs> <laughs> very good well, on that bombshell we'll go to our break if you want to come over and hear the rest of the chat we're going to get into stuff like strength flexibility balance hills speed sessions and fun I mean you've got to keep the fun in this thing maybe fun is the thing that you're missing in your running routine I'll be talking to Sonia Sullivan uh, lots more besides come on over join us on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad to hear the rest and to hear the full back catalogue of our episodes Brian Connolly's on sound John Mardo's the extra research and Tina and Mikey make it all possible make sure to register for the Ireland Funds 5k taking place this Saturday September 18th one of the keys to like maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise wise. Imagine, you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress. 